Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week, we're talking about decoding the labels on meat packaging. For those of you guys who have to buy meat at the grocery store or still buying meat at the grocery store, um, you need to know what you're buying and what the terminology on that meat label, on the labels, actually mean. There's a lot of material. We can't even cover it all. We're going to cover the, the most common ones you're going to see, right. but there's a lot of deceptive marketing out there. We're also going to talk a little bit about alternatives to the grocery store yeah. and how to even save some money on high quality meat. Yeah. Hey, this sounds like fun. It does. <laughs> yep. A, a topic I love. Yeah. Um, but first, as usual, we're going to have a little chit chat and answer a couple of our subscriber questions. All right. Good. So, um, What's up? <laughs> What's up with you? What's oh, up with what me? What are you doing to get through winter? It is snowy and raining on top of snow and slushy and it's yucky out, which means everybody's inside whenever they have the option to be inside. Because it's one thing to go out and play in the snow. It is another thing to go out and play in raining, cold, freezing slush. It's not fun. not fun. It's not fun. Nobody wants to no. do it. So there's a lot of time being spent in time in so indoors right now, which means that uh, there's a lot of indoor energy. It means we're having to get creative about directing that energy into different types of projects. Definitely extra reading, but you know, little people have energy that have to be spent. So it's like we're trying to you know pull out the little trampoline and get people jumping and you know, doing all different things to to actually expend energy inside. So that's happening. But then in the middle of that, I'm actually working on the new project, the really exciting, exciting. New project, yep. which is that I am writing a freeze dryer book right now. Um, it's really fun. It's called Freeze Drying the Harvest. And it's supposed to be released in September of this year. So I'm really excited, but I'm also like writing a book is a new process for me. That's I, I've written a few like a few smaller workbook type yeah. things, but to write a fully published book is um, exciting, intensive, lots of work. Well, and if you've gotten to know Carolyn at all, and particularly if you've taken any of her classes, you know that she's very, very detailed and <laughs> is going to cover a subject very, very well. So this book is is going to be, in my opinion, the go-to. I don't know that she would say that, but she just doesn't tackle something without <laughs> really diving into the details. And what I'm hearing, I'm really excited about because it, it's, yeah. it's going to take anybody. It'll meet you where you're at, but it will certainly take you from like brand new, don't know anything about freeze drying to mastery of the subject by the time this is done. 
and uh, very, very exciting. It's pretty exciting, yeah. but there's like hundreds of freeze dryer loads going on on research for this, and uh, it's 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 pretty intensive actually, making sure to find all the information and make it super super useful. Um, but I'm excited about it. So I've been working on that yeah. a little bit and cool. doing some writing and all of those things. Very so cool. what about yeah, you? What have you been to up to? Oh man, well the the hard freeze and the snow got in the way of plowing equipment challenges. <laughs> and then we got rain on top of snow that hadn't been plowed. So I do have to go outside and play in the snow, except for it's not fun. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of plowing we have to do to keep our property open for all the people coming and going and services. Like we have a vet coming, we've got a problem with a pig, so we need to make sure they can get in and, yep. and uh, propane deliver. So anyways, I've been doing a lot, of, a lot more plowing. I was up and out Quite early this morning you were actually uh, clearing the driveway so taking care of business yeah we've got uh hey we've got one of our cooney cooney pigs is showing pregnant Ooh. very excited we love our cooney coonies but getting them bred has been a challenge um they get too fat easily which is you know in one way not a bad problem it's nice they fatten well, they literally well on very little, which is why I think they're in, you know, a, kind of an ultimate homestead pig. Not, like, a, not a commercial meat pig, but... Literally our kitchen scraps. Like, you could yeah. overfatten these pigs on your yeah. kitchen scraps, yeah. which is just mind-blowing to me. It is. Problem is, is they get, they get overly fat easily, and then they don't breed well. And so we believe that's a problem we've had. And so I've worked this whole year to work on their diet, <laughs> you know, get them exercise, put them on the treadmill, you know, <laughs> tell them not to eat the, the sugar that got into the, the leftovers bucket. Eat more salad. Eat more salad. greens, right. Anyways, <laughs> it's worked. We realized that we have a pregnant sow and that was great. So okay. don't know when, but it looks like it's getting close. So I'm very happy about that. Yay. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Cool. And uh, generally making plans for spring. It's coming quickly. Yeah, you and I need to have a couple conversations. Yeah. We need to talk about trees and gardens because uh, I know we probably have most of our garden <laughs> seeds, but we need to get some trees ordered and a few things like that to get ready. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, before we jump into the question of the day, today I want to let you guys know something exciting is that American Blossom Linens has decided to sponsor this podcast episode that's kind of new for us we haven't really had sponsors mm -hmm. on the podcast yeah. before but that is really exciting and we're super excited about them because if you don't know american blossom linens they actually do sheets that are made all the way in the united states yep. usa made from american grown cotton yep. like whoa this that's... is something i don't we haven't talked about it a lot but the textile industry um is something that's really near and dear to my heart because we have outsourced almost all of it and sent it almost all overseas. So to see American-grown cotton turn into a USA main item yeah. for household use is like, that just hits all my buttons. I'm really excited about that. Likewise, absolutely. Any Anytime we can get it grown in the USA mm -hmm. and made in the USA and delivered in the USA. That is awesome. We've been sleeping on American Blossom sheets for the last maybe two years. I think so. Yeah. And they are phenomenal. They are super high quality. They're not like anything you get off of Amazon or off of, you know, out at Target or yeah. anything like that. The quality is amazing and they're just getting softer and softer with every wash. And yeah, I think they're, they're going to yeah, last not for wearing a couple, out. No, they're going to last for decades, right. maybe yeah, decades. Yeah, yeah, very, so. very high quality. So, how do they find out more? 
Ah, to find out more, you can go ahead and go over to their website at AmericanBlossomLinens.com, and if you use the coupon code HomesteadingFamily, you get twenty percent off. They always have free shipping, but get this: it's two-year risk-free trial, like two years. When can you use something for two years? And what you can、crazy? you can send it back if it doesn't. I guess so. I don't、up. know. I didn't <laughs> ask that question.、Yeah. Like, what do you do if you don't like、yeah. it? But I mean, you know, the reason they can do that, I was just noticing in the notes that I didn't catch before, is they've been around,、uh, probably not as American Blossoms, but as textile and linen for 125 years in the United States. Oh yeah. In a town、That's、in Georgia,、long. so they know their product. Yeah. Therefore, I assume they know that's why they can、last. they can stand behind you sleeping on it every night for two years. With a guarantee, that's, that's pretty that's cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> so go、right. check them out、yep. because it's definitely going to pay back over time. Absolutely.、Yeah. All right, let's get to a couple questions of the day. Are we doing? Okay. Do, Just are we doing pick all of them? one or two. Okay. Well, I'll do one for you. You do one for me. How's that? Okay. Let's see. I'm going to do the top one here. Debbie White Haws on preserve lemon and thyme reduction sauce for the Dutch oven roasted chicken. Ooh, I didn't know、so、I was ready for lunch, but I am now. <laughs> How do you know if your cast iron Dutch oven is well seasoned? Ah, okay. So seasoning is, you know, it's kind of a continuous process. Like your seasoning will get better and better when you're using your cast iron correctly. So it's not just like a place where you achieve well seasoned and then you just stay there. So when you first season it, it's kind of you know got a light seasoning and then you keep using it, and over the years it gets a better and better seasoning. Hopefully,、okay. if you're using it correctly. So, what you really want to see, if you're if a if a recipe calls for a well seasoned Dutch oven, then you want to make sure that you do not regularly have food sticking to it while you're cooking. That would be kind of the sign for it. So, if you cook, you know, food and you're using with Dutch ovens, you do still want to use a little bit of oil or grease or fat or whatever it is you're using at the bottom. Good healthy fat. Good healthy fat, yeah. You don't have to use a lot, but a little bit. They're not nonstick like Teflon, where you don't have to use anything, but you can use just a little bit. And as long as your food is coming off through that cooking process, then、um, then you're doing fine. You shouldn't really have a lot of things stick to your cast iron ever.、Um, if you do, then it's not well seasoned. All right. All right. There、cool. you go. Okay. And a question for you.、Um, let's see. Rob Inc. on the top ten things to do to be ready for a rocky 2024 asks you, great information, but I do have a question about the larger fuel tanks. How do you get them filled? My husband and I have each spent the last 20 years in the military and just bought a homestead. We want to get one, but have no idea where to start for getting one and getting it filled. Great, great question.、Mm -hmm. So, how to get them filled? If you're in rural farming community somewhere, there is a fuel station. It could be a gas station that's public. It could be a little bit more private for farmers. But farmers need fuel. They buy it in bulk, and so they have it delivered, you know, for their tractors, for their equipment. So if you live in that kind of community, there's one somewhere within a radius of you. I don't know how far. So you're going to have to maybe talk to some neighbors, talk to a farmer,、uh, talk to the fuel stations. Go into your gas stations and just say, hey, do you know where I can get bulk? Fuel delivered to my farm, 
And so you got to do a little sleuthing there, but you're fine. You'll find it. The closer you get to town, that might be a little more challenging. Um, but I, I would just do the same thing. I would start asking around and looking for bulk fuel delivery. And there are trucks that will come to your place and will deliver um, regular diesel. They'll deliver uh, red diesels, which is what you use for um, off-road. So for your tractors or your equipment that you're not driving on the main highway, it's a little less expensive. Uh, and then usually any any of the unleaded that they sell, the different octanes. Yeah. So you just got to do a little sleuthing and ask around. It's there somewhere. It's probably just never caught your attention, not on your radar. But there will be somebody there. And they'll. Um, you, you need to have a little bit of bulk, several hundred gallons, you know, probably at least 250 gallons. Um, but you can get into a circuit with them. Either you call them when it's ready or that you have them come by monthly. And, you know, ideally keep your fuel tanks topped off. Okay. Yep. You know, somebody else asked about, uh, actually, the next question here mm -hmm. is, how long can you keep gas and diesel for? Is it problematic to add fresh fuel in the top half of the tank? So I think uh, we need to talk about how we're using the gas tank really quickly. Like, yeah, not, this that's isn't a, a prepper item that we're just storing. No, it's not, especially unleaded fuel. Diesel can store for a pretty long time. This is not an area I'm expert in, so I can't tell you exact timelines, but regular unleaded fuel does go bad. And uh, so it needs additive. So you need to kind of understand your usage. If you're using it every month or every couple months, few months, not a problem at all. If you're going to cycle it through, not a problem. But if you're going to start getting six months or longer somewhere in there, again, I, I don't know the exact numbers, then you're going to want to start taking thinking about a preservative additive. Now, the people that you're getting the fuel from can help you with all of that. They can tell you exactly what you need to know, help you mix it up. And as far as putting new fuel on top of old fuel, again, it depends on your usage. You know, if you're cycling through it, no, it's not a problem. If your old fuel is getting older, um, then yeah, you'd want that additive in, but you could still put new fuel on top of it. It's not a problem. So um, again, find find the fuel service that, that does the bulk delivery and they're gonna know the answers to the details to help you figure out for your usage and, and what, what you're buying and how you're using it and what you need to do to take care of it. There you go. All right. Cool. Good topic. All righty. Very good. Very okay. good. And I love seeing people get stored up on fuel. That is a biggie because, you know, we talk about grocery stores can run out in three days. <laughs> so can the gas station. Yeah. And, and then you can end up with lines. Some of you have lived through. I was a little young for the 1970s, but, you know, I've heard the stories about that. Um, I, that that's going to come again at some point. So on fuel rationing, fuel yeah. rationing yeah. and the expense. And it takes well, you three days in line to get fuel. And I mean, if you run out we, of fuel, you may not be worried about the grocery store because you can't get there. Like, <laughs> you right. know, you, it, it yeah. is actually really so, important. It's up there pretty high on the list. It is. So I love seeing you guys think about that as part of your just living prepared strategy. Okay. So we're talking about Meat, particularly buying meat in the grocery store and all the labeling around it, right? Which Absolutely. they know that you want better quality meat. You don't want junk in your meat. You don't like the way they're raising and taking care of some of those animals. Very few of us, if we knew, like that, right? And so the producers and the marketers know that. They don't want to change the way they're producing it, though. They just want to change how they market it, maybe make a few tweaks, and make it look good, make it look better. So and you're not going to go find meat on the shelf that says inhumanely treated and poorly fed. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> not, they just aren't going to do it. Not, right? They're not going to do it. That's right. true. Yeah. They're not going to do it. And then they're only going to shift their practices often as far as they have to to be able to label it and market it so that it's acceptable to you. So we're going to talk about some of the labeling to help some understanding and start with a grocery store because that's where a lot of you are still getting your meat and totally. that's okay. 
And, uh, and then we're also going to encourage you on how to make a transition available, buy the best you can in the store, and even eventually do better than that. So I think before we even start, we have to talk about this idea of what's on the labels and who's watching the labels, like what's allowed and what's not allowed, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are certain terms, and we're going to talk about them, that are regulated terms. Right. There are terms where you have to meet certain practices and certain standards in order to put that term on the label in the United States. I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the United States, you have to actually be certified to be able to say these words. But the thing is, there are words that are not certified and they are not regulated and they can sound like really good words but you don't actually know what that means when somebody puts it on the label. Well, and the problem is, is some of the certified words make it look like it's really good and it's got some good things about it, but it's not necessarily what you want. Right, either. exactly. So it can be a little bit tricky. So kind of at the top of that list is organic right. versus natural. Exactly. So organic is a certified term you legally can't sell something with an organic, defining it as organic without having the certification and have met the certification requirements. That that would be, you know, I don't know what, what, what they call it in the marketing industry, but it's, it's mm -hmm. you can't do it. it. It would be misrepresentation according yeah. to the law, right? Um, yeah, so some of those things that a USDA organic, and there are different bodies that actually um, certify these things. So you can have different types, different organic certification labels. So today we're talking about agencies. USDA certified because they can actually get all over the place um, as to what you need to do, what you need to accomplish on your farm in order to be able to have this organic certification. Well, and I got to say the USDA, in my understanding, is actually one of the more looser organic mm -hmm. labelings. There are some other ones that are better even though they're not USDA. Right. Um, Omri is one. There's a couple of them. But so you got to you you have to dive in and understand a little bit what this organic label is guaranteeing you. Right. Exactly. Right. So, but for the USDA organic uh, animals the organic certification, there we go. Um, animals are provided some access outdoors. So that's good. At least they get to see the outdoors and poke their head out. They eat organic feed which, and are not given hormone or routine routine antibiotics. Which means the feed that they're being given has been certified organic as well. So that mm -hmm. feed has met requirements. It's not sprayed, you know, pesticides and herbicides that don't meet the organic label. There, there are some that do. So you need to know that. There are some natural ones okay. that, that do meet organic labels, but their, their feed would be organic as well. Would be organic. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So... What what does this tell us about an animal? So like organic, we all go, hey, that's good. We know it costs more. You know, that's a that's an upgrade, right? Well, I think organic generally, you know, to understand that certification that you you know it it it, it comes behind. They have to have met the requirements. So that's that's in one way that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they have had to meet certain requirements. But generally, organic, what it's doing is telling you is what's not in the meat. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily telling you the quality of the feed they did get or the quality of the environment they're raised in, it's just assuring you that certain things aren't in there, that GMOs aren't in there, that pesticides, that herbicides, or at least the vast majority of them aren't in there, that there aren't uh, hormones and routine antibiotics in there. So that's it, that's a nice start. It is a good start. If that's right? your option, that's a really good right. start. 
but it's not guaranteeing the quality of the feed, the quality of the pasture. In fact, it's not even guaranteeing that they really got pasture. They might be outdoors, but most of your commercial meat is already outdoors. It's just on a feedlot. Well, yeah, know, CAFOs a, are usually outdoors, right? right? Yeah. A lot of, well, for, for beef, beef, for beef yeah. they are. They are not for chickens generally right. or pork. Right. You know, um, I don't know a lot about lamb, but um, beef definitely is outdoors. But it's still in confined spaces. They're standing in their poo. You don't know the quality of the food that they're getting. So it's a step in the right direction, but it can be deceptive. And it's not a step far enough, in my opinion. Absolutely. It's yeah. not a step far enough. Now, what about the term natural? Because the term natural is a non-regulated term. Right. So that's a term that people can use. And in the grocery store, they can use that not being organic certified. And it's kind of like makes it sound good, right? Is really all it is. Now, somebody could be taking some steps to make it more natural, but you don't know that. You don't have a certification. Um, and so when you're in where I'm talking grocery store meat here, right. uh, we can get into a different conversation where a term like natural can be very good, but here that's usually being used to bypass the organic certification and just make the label look good make you feel good about what you're buying. Usually you'll notice it's written with nice green letters to make you think about being outdoor and lush pasture or right. something like that. But the reality is, you know, if you say is chicken natural? Well, yeah, chicken is natural. Maybe what they're doing to it isn't so natural, though. So that term just doesn't mean anything. And yeah. it's really just has to be chopped up to tricky marketing. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. so let's talk another, about another one, and that is hormone-free. You'll see this on pork, poultry, beef, dairy products, hormone-free. Okay. First all, of all, it's important to know that hormones are not allowed in its poultry, and in, in pigs pork. in the yep. United States. So that term is kind of um, a wash. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> if you're talking about poultry or you're talking about pork, it's like... They can't do it anyways. Yeah. They're, they're not allowed to. So thank you, USDA, for giving us a little bit of good coverage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but beef and lamb, right? hormones are allowed. Right, and you don't want them. Why not? Why don't you want the hormones? They get yeah. into your body and they mess with your hormones. You don't need that. I mean, yeah. you think about all the hormone problems we have through our culture right now. You have people who can't get pregnant when they need to. Mm -hmm. We have all sorts of female issues when it comes to health, you know, PCOS, things like that is just like going through the roof. Um, it, we don't need any more help messing up our hormones than we already have. <laughs> well, they're being used, you know, to manipulate nature, right? To manipulate the growth of the animal generally. I'm sure there are some other reasons as well. But like in, in the dairy cows, it's the, the BST, the bovine growth hormone, right? And that's used to, in this case, increase milk production. You know, so you're you're taking a step far to to manipulate a biological system in a way that's not good for the cow and then it's not good for us. No. And, and it gets through to us besides it not being healthy for the animal. So when you're looking at beef and lamb, you definitely want to look for a hormone-free option. The chicken, the pork doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, it, it, it already is. But yeah. Um, they're making sure you know that. Okay, now let's talk about antibiotics for a minute and antibiotic-free. Ooh, antibiotics are such a hot topic in our world these days, as they should be, because we really need to be reducing the amount of antibiotics that not only humans are exposed to, 
but the whole like the ground they are changing our world and our and our bacteria is changing in response changing our bacterial world they really yeah. are which is uh, more of our world than most of what we can see right yeah. like there are so many bacteria so as we are shifting this as the the bacteria are responding to our overuse of antibiotics we're actually getting all these antibiotic resistant bacteria or these superbugs which are causing health problems for not only humans but also for all of the environment um, so it's really important that we continue to reduce our dependency and our use of antibiotics Ex the the most heavily place the most heavily used antibiotic place is actually on farms yeah that is where most of the antibiotics are being used throughout the world so antibiotic free is a good thing. Yes, yeah. we want to go antibiotic the, the, free. The label is, labeling is a good thing as far as the grocery store. So you do want to look for that. Now, if you've got organic, you pretty much have antibiotic free, right? I don't good. think it's a hundred percent, but they have to have minimal use, and there's usually a time frame uh, that they have to wait in order to process an animal for food after the antibiotic has been given. So it's not organic isn't necessarily antibiotic free, but but it's got some constraints on it. Okay. Yeah. The term antibiotic-free in labeling in the United States is a regulated term, though. In that, and so that does mean that your animals are have not had antibiotics. Usually what it means, and even with the USDA organic certification, mm -hmm. is if they get antibiotics, let's say they get sick, they are injured, and they need antibiotics, they actually drop out of the program, and that animal can no longer be sold as organic under USDA. Other other organic certifications, don't yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, or it can't be labeled as antibiotic free. So definitely either organic labeling or the antibiotic free labeling yeah. if you can't get the organic. Sounds good. Good. Let's talk specifically about chickens for a minute and a okay. few of the labels you're gonna see around chickens. Yes. And the first one we have here is pasture raised. Yeah, so pasture raised. We actually have a couple different terms that come in here that sound really similar, mm -hmm. but they really aren't. And we have pasture raised and we have uh, free, free range. range. And cage free. And cage free. All sounds right. good. They all sound good. Like, let's take all of them. Um, the, the best of those is pasture raised because that actually means that they are getting out on, at least outdoors. Mm -hmm actually going outside or have access to significant outdoor rain, you mm -hmm. know, area um, that they can move around in. So this is, of course, way, way healthier for the animals, way healthier for the meat, way healthier for eggs that are produced from those chickens. Um, just a much better, more natural scenario, not only because it's natural for animals and for chickens to be out on pasture um, and out running around on the ground, but because it reduces the toxin loads on the animals themselves. Right. It makes them actually healthier animals. And this kind of goes back to that discussion you were having at the beginning. Like organic tells us what's not in it, but it doesn't tell us how healthy it is. Right. This kind of goes there. This, this is more healthy. The chickens are more healthy or the turkeys, you know, all the poultry is healthier because they're out in the sunshine. They're out in the fresh air. They're not in these containment places with the air that's so polluted that they're breathing all their contaminants over and over, like, you know, breathing feces do, particles all the time. Do you realize in these CAFOs that they grow these chickens in, if they are indoors, humans have to wear body suits 
like and masks, hazmat yes. stuff to go yeah. in and take care of the chickens. And yet they raise the chickens in this environment. And then so, we eat them. And then we eat them. And so the humans yeah. can't go in there. And yeah. yet, but they're raising things that they feed us with. So this is a step in the right direction, this pasture raise to get continuous free access to the outdoors. So the, um, the downside of this is that this is not a regulated term. So right. while it's a great thing, it's not a regulated term, which means somebody can slap that on their label and it doesn't necessarily well, mean anything. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. And it might mean they have minimal, you know, right. there's a door open, right? Mm -hmm. So some of those, you know, however many thousands of birds that are in, you know, in an industrial feed feedlot situation for chickens, some of them may be able to get in and out. I mean, theoretically, all of them can go if they want to, but, you know, so it gets real tricky. Yeah. Um, now, there is a USDA... A certified version here, if I'm understanding right, that for this, which is guaranteeing there is some level of outdoor access. And that is free range. Right. The downside of this is that does not necessarily mean they can actually get outside. It might mean that they can stick their head out a hole and kind of look around outside and get a little fresh air. Now, again, very, very that. deceptive. <laughs> it is very deceptive, <laughs> but I suppose it's better than no access to fresh air and sunshine ever. It's a step in the right direction. It's not good enough, in my opinion, but it is a step in the right direction. And so if you're trying to make steps in buying better food, these things are good steps to take. Yeah. They're, they're maybe not the end goal. But it's well, and there. we all understand, you know, the 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 more certification levels there are, the more expensive the meat usually is. Right. And sometimes we are just at a place where we just can't afford it. Sure. You know, we we're in these moments, yeah. and those things happen, and that's okay. But at least you can start determining, hey, can I take one step better? Can I yep. take two steps better? That's you know, that's an important way to look at it. Well, and that is the pathway, yeah. one step at a time. Yeah. So cage free. This is another one. And I'm not sure if this is a, is this it, a regulated? It is, it is a regulated yeah, okay. term, but it doesn't mean, I mean, it does. It means they're not stuck in these little teeny cages. Which, which know that that's that, how your standard chicken is getting raised. They're, 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 they don't have room to move. There's yeah. not much room. It's very, very limited. So cage-free at least is guaranteeing they're not in a cage. It doesn't guarantee that they're getting outside at all. Does no, not mean that they're getting outside. No, it could mean that they're way overcrowded inside an indoor space, yeah. but at least they are not stuck in a cage. Now there is a certification, the Animal Welfare Approved um, certified uh, certification there that does help take that up a little bit. So if it says cage free and it has this animal certified sorry, animal welfare approved stamp on it or seal on it, mm -hmm. it does at least mean that they're getting a certain amount of square footage to move around in and they're not, you know, packed in like sardines into right. a free range, which, I mean, that could almost be worse. Then you don't even have protection from your neighbors, you know, but at least you can move around. I don't know. I, you know, animal welfare is really important to most of us. I think most of you guys too, uh, when we're raising animals on our own homestead, we would never put up with raising them that way. No. no. Nobody would. It's sickening when you see it. And so it's important to to just keep reading into those labels and know what they mean. And, and, Cage free does not mean that much, actually. Yeah. So let's talk about beef for a moment. This okay. is your other major product that has some issues with labeling. And your standard CAFO um, you know, industrial raised meat isn't going to have any kind of labeling about it. It's just your beef in the store. Right. It'll have prime and choice and the grading, but it's not going to tell you anything. When you start wanting to go towards a more natural beef, 
one of the first things you're going to see is grass fed. You know, well, why grass fed? Well, what are cows supposed to eat? Grass, grass right? <laughs> what do they eat in the feedlots? A whole lot of different things, often a whole lot of grain, which is arguably not good for them, but then a whole lot of other things that aren't natural. Beef or ruminants, they're made to eat primarily grass. So the grass-fed idea is a proper idea. We've seen reports that grass, that that beef on feedlots are fed ground up uh, chicken feathers. Okay, let's say not natural. There's a, the... uh, Skittles, waste candy, they're fed. Yeah. Because yeah. it puts the pounds on. So, yeah. you know, again, that's going back to whatever the industry what can come up with. What are we putting into with? the cows? Right. You know? you know, and of course, if you remember mad cow disease, right. that was from them feeding cows cows. Right. Right. And so they got they got rid of that, but they didn't get rid of a lot of the other garbage that should not be in a cow's diet. And even grain fed and finished has problems with it. It's better than, you know, all the other junk. Right. But we want to be moving toward grass-fed, and USDA-certified grass-fed animals do have continuous outdoor access during the growing season and can mm -hmm. only be fed grass and forage. So that is a good thing. Yeah, I think that that is a big step forward. I do believe they can only eat grass products even outside of the growing season. I believe hay, you're right. Hay and, you know. That does not mean they're on pasture, though, free not... to move around. They can Correct. still be in confined spaces and be fed all hay, mm -hmm. bale-type products, right? And so it doesn't guarantee their movement that they're in a healthy environment. So they can still be in confined environments that are very unhealthy. Now, there's another set of terms in beef, and it has to do with this grass-fed that is actually really deceptive, and it's the difference between grass-fed and grass-finished. Mm -hmm. Most beef in the United States is grass-fed at some for, point for a, in their For life. a good part of its life, yeah. yeah. It, it yeah, makes and, most sense until to the last, on range. Until the last few months. Some beef goes from being weaned to the feedlots. But most of the beef is on pasture for a season, then it goes to feedlots to be finished, which is generally uh, finished on grain. And so if you're looking for a true, you know, what we think of often as grass-fed product, you need to understand the finishing. The grass finishing is really right. what you're looking for because just because it was fed, you know, six months prior to slaughter and before all grass, doesn't mean that that last six months of it, that finishing or three right. months, I think it's usually closer to two to three months on the finishing, um, doesn't mean it received all the grass then. So if you want to know that your, your beef has been raised on all pasture, you're looking for that grass finished label. But I'm not seeing here that there is a regulation or certification yeah. for the grass fed level. So, so grass finished. So you have to kind of trust your source there. If mm -hmm. it's labeled that, you got to know. Yeah. You know, presumably they're telling the truth. Hopefully, I, I would say that when you're getting to this level, I have a degree of trust. Um, you're getting into a niche down level. If they're grain finished and grass finished, and it's labeled that way, it doesn't guarantee it. But people are going through a lot of effort in, in a business to do that. So I, I'd say it's pretty likely. But you might want to research the brand a little bit. So you feel like it would be pretty safe to trust a label that actually said grass finished. I, I would it's lean that specific. way. I would lean that way. Yeah. Just knowing the raising the process, what they got to go through. It's not going to be hard for somebody to like tear them up publicly. If right. it was found out, it, it would be really risky in this case right. to do that because well, you're it's not... much more specific than like a term natural. Right. Natural is just right. like, well, yeah, I mean, chickens right. are natural. Yeah. They're running around outside, you yeah. know, in some places at yeah. least. So, yeah. 
But it, it still leads to where we're going to go with this, which is you ultimately need to know your farmer. You don't usually do that in the grocery store, so at least do good research on the products on these things that are non-labeled. And, you know, there's lots of information online. You've got a certain product in your grocery store. It's probably regional if it's grass-finished. It's probably not too extremely far away. Try to look into it. Find out about the brand mm -hmm. and see what people say about it. And there's a good chance that that it is what it says it is. Mm. Okay, yeah. so let's talk really quickly. We're kind of getting down on time. Okay. If you have to go to the grocery store, what is your best option for buying poultry? Okay, so this is at the grocery store, it's right? At the grocery store. All right, so best, best is you're looking, you want it to be organic, okay, and free range, right? antibiotic and hormone free. You're, you're looking for all of those or as many of those as you can to get to the best. So that, really that the two certifications that you really want on that are organic and free range since the antibiotic and is the covered hormone in the is organic. Kind of covered. Yeah, right. already. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. so what about the best beef in the grocery store? Yeah, ideally you're looking for organic and it's grass fed and it's grass finished. Mm -hmm. And grass fed and grass finished, that it doesn't ensure they've been on pasture their whole life, but it, it covers you pretty well when we're talking about store-bought beef. Right. Okay, if we're talking about best pork at the grocery store. Yep, you want it organic. You want it, um, I mean, you pretty much want it organic. You want it organic, and yeah, if you can get pastured, if you see pastured pork, we didn't really talk about that very much, but it's kind of the same thing with the chicken. You want that pork out on pasture or out on ground and moving around. Well, you want you want them out pastured for moving around. Pigs are omnivores, so mm -hmm. they're not a grass only. They don't need mm -hmm. to be only on grass. Um, but you want to know that they've got a good diet and a, and a diverse diet. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then just to throw eggs in there. In yep. case we're talking about eggs. Hopefully what do you they're organic, pasture raised, uh, non-vegetarian fed, soy free. Yeah, that would be best if you could get it. We're wow. kind of throwing some extra of, terms in lot, there on yeah. this one. But yeah, you want to make sure to be yeah. getting them their natural diet. So can we talk about what the next level is? Okay, we can. Or I guess we're getting there. Yeah, okay. we can talk about it really quickly because right. we are wrapping so, up our time. Meat's getting expensive. And when you start trying to get this quality meat, I mean, meat that to Carolyn and I should be a no-brainer to be able to buy in the store, but you've got to pay extra or labels and the right. processing, um, that's a challenge. So how do we save money on filling our freezers with meat while still getting the best quality possible? Start raising it yourself. Whatever you can, you need to start raising it yourself. You really, I mean, if, you, if nothing else, hopefully you're taking away from this discussion that the labels are really deceptive. You yeah. don't really know what you're getting. Hopefully you know you're not getting a bunch of chemicals and a bunch of bad stuff in your meat by the labels. Mm -hmm. But short of that, you don't really know how the animals have been treated. You don't really know how, you know, what kind of diet they've been on, mm -hmm. what kind of, you know, access to sunshine and fresh air and they've say had. The air they've breathed, it's, a, it's really a big issue. Yeah. Start raising your own. And the cost savings is phenomenal. Right. It is really good. Now. That's a challenge for a lot of people. Yep. Most people don't have a lot of space. Now, there are things you can do to look at what you can raise with the space you have, but the, the next level, and which is probably the one that the vast majority of people can do, is go straight to the farmer. Know your farmer and look for these things, but the farmer doesn't need to have the labels. They don't need all the labels. You, you still want them to be using organic practices. You still want them to be 
you know, raising their cows on grass and finishing them with grass. You'd still mm -hmm. like your chickens to have access to pasture. So you still want all these, these things that we're talking about. But when you get to know your farmer, you don't need to pay for the labels. You can go to the farm. Yeah. <laughs> you can go get to know the person. Yeah. You know, a good farm will allow you to come on site and come visit them. Which is really important because yeah. then you just get to see with your eyes, like what is really happening? How are my animals really being raised? What are right. they really getting fed? And you don't have to wonder like, are they actually telling me the yeah. truth or what's going on here? That's also going to lead to cost savings. A, a farmer that's direct selling is going to be able to get you good quality. It's going to be more expensive than your cheap store-bought, but it should be less expensive than some of these things with all the labels, especially if you start buying in bulk. And that's the next step in saving money while getting quality meat if you can't raise it yourself is to start learning how to buy it in bulk from the farmer and you're going to get a better price per pound for that high quality beef, pork, chicken, or whatever it is that you want. Yeah, and that that can be a significant cost saving as well as a huge upgrade in your diet, yeah. right? And the quality of the meat. So it's kind of win-win on both sides. Yeah. You save money and you get the better quality meat. You're also building your local economy instead mm -hmm. of sending those dollars to the multinational corporation, which... I'll get my plug in more and more Chinese companies own some of those. They really do. So, so support your local farmer. Yep. One last way to really get good quality meat at a cheaper cost is? Oh, well, sure. Hunting. Wild game and hunting. Absolutely. That's a great way as well. If you've got the time for that, it's a good recreation and you can generally get very good quality meat Yeah. Uh, for a lesser cost. So, you know, if you have access land and places invest in um, developing those skills. If you guys want a little extra help in determining how to choose the best uh, meat when you're standing at the grocery store, go ahead and check out the blog post that is attached. I'll put the link down in the description. But we hope that you guys can go ahead and start making plans to make the leap towards either homegrown or direct from your community from a farmer. Absolutely. It's been great hanging with you guys. We got to go and we will see you soon. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.